0: Hey, thanks for stopping in to listen to my latest sermon. I'm glad you have. Before this one plays, I want to give a little warning. We filmed and recorded this sermon on location. Because of this, the audio won't be nearly as good as it normally is. We did our best to clean it up, but you'll still hear some traffic and wind. Now you know why. We filmed on location in part to create a visual illustration. So if you'd rather watch this sermon, please visit our YouTube page, which you can find at youtube.com slash Creekside2. As always, we would love to know if God worked in your life through this sermon. If he has, please let us know by emailing respond at creekside.me. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for Jesus. Hey, everyone. Uh... They're letting me preach inside the building this time, which is pretty cool. I'm inside of First Church the Nazarene in Salem, Oregon, and I attended this church through college. Uh, I've already talked to you guys about my experiences at Dayspring, and I attended Dayspring until I was 17 years old, a senior in high school, and I met a pretty girl in my Global Issues class. I asked her if she wanted to hang out sometime, She said she was busy. And then she hit me up on AOL Instant Messenger, asked me about my relationship with Jesus, and then invited me to go to her youth group. Uh, This was her church. And really from the first time I went to the youth group, uh, because I wanted to date a girl, until the time I started working at Creekside Bible Church, this church deeply invested In me. What's kind of staggering to me now is that this is probably the last church, at least until I'm very old, that I'll go to that I won't work at. And that creates for me this unique memory of a church where I was deeply invested in, but I also had the opportunity, because I I had become more serious about Jesus while I was here, had the opportunity to serve this church and and really to be served at this church, and uh, this church just had incredible influence over me. In fact, uh, it's just very cool that I'm standing on the stage right now. I kind of feel like a a giddy fan or something that I'm up here and uh, delivering a sermon, to an empty auditorium and a camera, but uh, it's pretty neat for me. And and in large part, that's because this church had such an amazing, deep spiritual impact on my life. I think that what we will look at in the scriptures today will really determine whether or not. Our church offers similar experiences, like mine here, to other people. I think that what we'll look at today in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, if we are obedient to what Paul says, to what Paul describes, if we are obedient to what God would have for us in these verses, then I believe we can be a church that has deep impact upon people's lives. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, I've said this throughout this series, but I think it's really important that we compare Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 to our church experiences. And for a lot of people, I'm glad I'm not one of these people, but for a lot of people, their experience in church is not one of unity, but one of discord or one of anger or one of disunity And Paul says from a prison cell that he is urging them to live a life worthy of the calling that they've received. That's Christianity. He's he's urging them to live a life worthy of the Christianity that they have come to. Uh, A life worthy of being a follower of Jesus. And he begins in this section with the attitude that we must have towards Christ one another, towards the other people who go to church with us. I mean, he he talks about humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with each other, one another, and love. He says, make every effort to, to be unified and to stay unified and to have peace between each other. And he gives this reason, because we're united in Christ. We've all come to one faith one baptism, one Lord, we all serve the same Jesus. We all have come to the same Christian faith. Now, here's what's so cool, I think, about Christianity. Christianity tears down every single dividing wall. In fact, what Paul seems to say is that all of the things that can separate us All of the walls that might divide us should be broken down, should be torn down because of the great truth that unifies us. All that may separate us fails in comparison to the great, incredible truth that unifies us. The truth is the gospel that we have one God and that God created us and that God saw that we are sinners and he sent his son Jesus and Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus rose again all so that we might enter into his family and be forgiven for our sins and spend eternity with him in heaven. I mean, when you believe that, it matters very little. The opinions you have outside of that. So often it's sad. There are churches that are full of disunity. People are mad at each other. Churches split. I mean, all kinds of anger. And when I attended this church in high school and college, I saw none of it. And and the reality is, let me just make this clear before we go into the main part of of this passage and what I think is even more important for us as a church, Uh, If this church would have been full of discord and disunity and and people would have been angry at each other, then I probably would have stopped attending here. I probably would have never made it my church home and therefore I would have never have reaped the incredible benefits that I reaped because I attended here. The unbelieving world finds it very difficult to believe in the Gospel when they see Christians who are constantly bickering with each other. Even people who are Christians find it hard to be a part of a church where there is constant tension between the people who are part of that church. And we must make a decision, if we're going to be the church God wants us to be, and that's really what this series is about, we must make a decision to do our absolute best to be unified with one another because we know that the thing that we believe in is greater than all of the things that might cause disunity between us. Now, thankfully, I feel like I am preaching to the choir when I say this because at our church, At least as long as I've been the pastor, there has been an incredible level of unity. People like each other, people care about each other, and I I say this a lot, but, but one of the great things that I get to witness at our church is what takes place on Sunday mornings about a half an hour after we have stopped our service, after our service has ended. Because I see about a half hour afterwards, people... Loving each other, caring about each other, sometimes people praying for each other, crying with each other, still here talking and hanging out, demonstrating love to one another because they're so unified that it doesn't matter that we stop the service because they, their love, their unity goes beyond just a single event that takes place for about an hour and a half a week. So I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. However, I just think it's important that we continue as we move forward to say, look, we are going to make it a priority, a point, to continue to to make connection a very, very big deal. We are going to continue to strive for greater love and greater unity with each other because if we won't, then we can't be the church that God wants us to be. And Paul continues from this in Ephesians 4, 7 and 8. He says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, where Paul is going with this will become clear in just a minute. But we must pause there and say, Hey, it's really, really important that you understand that if you are a Christian then you have been equipped with these things that the Bible call spiritual gifts. These are gifts that go beyond your skills and your regular abilities and your, the things that you've learned or been educated in. These are spiritual gifts. And you have been given these spiritual gifts according to God through His Word. You've been given these spiritual gifts for the equipping and the building up of the church. Now there's a bunch of different spiritual gifts according to to the Bible, but I don't even think that what the Bible lists, as far as the different spiritual gifts go, are comprehensive. I don't think that the Bible lists every type of spiritual gifts, but, gift, but it, it lists things like the gift of wisdom and the gift of faith and the gift of preaching and teaching and things like that. The list is not as important as you understanding that you have been uniquely gifted to serve the church if you are a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus. We must put those gifts into practice. As I look at the modern American church today, I know I've said that a lot in this series, but, but I look around and I, I see, often in my church experiences, I've seen that there are a few people who are putting their gifts into practice. And there are a few more people who are just kind of serving out of a sense of duty. But there are a lot of people who are doing nothing. Paul's going to launch into this metaphor about the body in a second, and he's going to talk about every bo- every part of the body needs to do their parts. But not every part of the body will do their part if not every part of the body understands that they are gifted spiritually in order to serve their church. So if you're a Christian, look, just let this sink in. Let it become real to you. I know you've probably heard it before if you've been around church a long time. If you've been at this church for, for really any amount of time. You've heard that you're, that you're equipped spiritually that you've been gifted. But, but I really just want you to let it sink in. You have been gifted by God to serve this church. Now, Paul quotes here from Psalm 68, 18. And that passage is a passage that the Jewish people connected to the moment that God gave the Jewish people the Torah, the law, the Ten Commandments. Christian people, Christian Jews, then reconnected this passage, this verse, to the day of Pentecost. That is the day that the church began. What is clear is that God throughout history has equipped his people for the work and the ministry that he has called them to do. And today in the church, God does that through the gifts that he has given you. I mean, what an incredible moment, if you could just think back on on this moment when the Jewish people were given the Ten Commandments. I mean, there they were in a desert, standing next to a mountain, and God tells them, hey, I want to make you a nation. Okay, God. And surrounding them were a bunch of people groups, all of which, or, or many of which, who were trying to figure out what it meant for for a nation to be a nation, what kind of laws do we have? What kind of laws do we put in place? And God miraculously, supernaturally says, here's your law. What a gift! Or at Pentecost, when the church was formed, here's this group of disciples who are in an upper room and they're, they're praying, they're huddled together. They've seen Jesus die. They've seen Jesus after he rose again. And now they had seen Jesus ascend back into heaven and they don't really know what to do and they're just kind of huddled up and they're hanging out and then all of a sudden tongues of fire descend upon them. And they all start speaking in a different language and people that speak different languages are able to understand them. And then Peter preaches a sermon. Thousands of people become Christians and the churches form. formed. I mean, what a gift that the Holy Spirit would descend in such a unique and powerful way and turn their fear and anxiety and and really just their not knowing what to do next into wisdom and power and strength. And now Paul connects that same verse to you and the gifts that you have. Our church will never be as strong Will never be as big, will never be as great, will never be as influential as it can be if you don't choose to use the gifts that God has given you. And Paul continues in verses 11 through 13. I mean, excuse me, in 9 and 10. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, this is a parenthetical statement, and uh, really what it says is, hey, Jesus came to earth, he was God incarnate, and then he was ascended into heaven, and and really at the heart of what Paul says here is is what we've already seen in this series, that that he may fill all things. Jesus came, he died, he rose again, now he sits in heaven so that he may fill all things. He rules and he reigns over all, and he can fill. Fill all and he can strengthen all and he can give power to all. And one of the things that he fills is the church because we are his fullness. God's giving of gifts to you is not just some little deal. It's connected to His very incarnation and His very resurrection, His very ascension into heaven where He sits and He can fill all things and He's chosen. Think about this now. He can fill all things and He has chosen to fill you with gifts to serve our church. I don't know about you, but that makes using my gifts a bigger deal. I've been picked in and- All the cosmos and all the universe, God has the ability to fill it up. And he's looked down at Chad. said, I want to fill you with gifts so that you might serve my church. And he continues, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that, notice this, the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This passage declares that the church is the body of Christ. The church is His body. In Ephesians 2, 15 through 16, it says this, His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Now we've talked about church as the fullness of Jesus and that's repeated here. And We've talked about church as the household and the church is the building of God. It's it's his, right? I mean, it's his fullness and his family and his building. And now Paul says, hey, it's also his body. I think the implications of this are huge. I want to hit on three of them. And the first one is, again, that we should be connected or unified. We are one body. We are not different bodies. We are one body. We are unified in Christ. There should be no divisions between us. There should be no hostility between us. My fingers and my hand work together most of the time in perfect unison. And we as a group of people in a church should work together. We should be unified. After coming to this church, the pretty girl from my Global Issues class quickly became my girlfriend. And it was interesting because as I told you at Dayspring I was not very connected. I didn't go to the youth ministry. I showed up on Sunday mornings, ate some chocolate donuts, left saying, did I like that service or not? That was pretty much my whole entire experience there. And so you can imagine that really my relationships there were not deep. I really wasn't connected at all. And so I started coming here, First Church of the Nazarene, and that girl became my girlfriend. And Instantly, I became Bethany's Boyfriend. And it made it so that I was, whether I wanted to be or meant to be or whatever, I I was connected to people and people were connecting to me. and, And there was this unity that I developed with people, these friendships and these relationships. And they all kind of stemmed because I was Bethany's boyfriend at first. But as it continued, those relationships grew deeper and deeper and deeper. You see, the goal of the church is not just to Avoid disconnect, avoid fighting, avoid splitting. It's as I've already mentioned to have deeper, more spiritual relationships. It's my hope for every one of you that you will make a serious effort to dive deeply into relationships with people at our church. In 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 30, Paul uses the body uh, as a metaphor for church, like he does here in Ephesians. And it's important to understand what he says there, if we're going to understand really the second principle that I think is so important about this body message. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 12, 18-20. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You see, I think that the second thing that Paul really wants us to see in the, in the body metaphor is that every single part of the church is an important part of the church. Paul's told us that each of us who are Christians have been uniquely gifted to serve our church. And he brings in this body metaphor, in large part to say every part of the body is important. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 12. He says like, hey, the pinky can't say to the big toe, I don't need you. Because we know that if your pinky is busted, it kind of affects everything. It ruins your day. Or if the big toe is missing, that causes big, big problems. I mentioned uh, having multiple sclerosis not long ago, and I don't like to make that uh, the sermon illustration every time, but I think it, it bears repeating today that I do in fact have MS. And what I quickly learned from my MS is that if one part of the body is not functioning normally, it makes everything more difficult. When I was first diagnosed, and I've told you this before, the first thing that happened is that my, these two fingers started to go tingly, and then all my fingers were kind of tingly. And I, I mean, I couldn't catch a ball, I couldn't type, I couldn't, I couldn't do so many things that, that just a day before seemed normal, and it, it, I mean, it stressed me out, and it, it made life more difficult, it, it, it was hard. It made me feel weak. And Paul's use of the body metaphor for church says to you and I, look, if you're just a pinky, you're still a really important part of this church. And without you, we can never function the way that God has called us to function. I wrote in a blog post a couple of years ago uh, about MS and kind of how it makes me think of church. And and I wrote this, as I think about Paul's analogy of the church as a body and my experience with multiple sclerosis, I can't help but think that the average modern American church suffers from a spiritual MS of sorts. Like the church in Corinth, most modern churches value certain spiritual gifts above others. For many churches, the preferred gifts are preaching, teaching, and leadership. For others, the most prized gift of all is still tongues. But the MS-like symptoms in our churches do not reside within our overemphasis on certain gifts. Instead, they lie within the overall weakening of the body that is the church. For a church to function well, all of the parts must be working. But I would even add, all the parts must be working well. Must be doing their best. Standing on this stage, first time I've ever been on the stage that I mentioned. I look behind the camera and see the back of the sanctuary, but behind the back of that sanctuary is where I spent most of my time. We used to have a modular building outside in the parking lot that we had youth ministry in, and there was a lot of time spent for me there. And in the halls behind here, and in that modular building, I witnessed firsthand the importance of every part of the body that was First Church, that is First Church of the Nazarene, doing the job that God had called it to do. The people who mattered to me here most were not the musicians, and there were a lot of them. I don't know if you can tell that right now. Or the pastor. Or really anybody who was paid to be here. The people who mattered most to my life. Were those who said I will use my spiritual gifts to serve this body. I mean I think about people like John. Told you that a guy named John changed my life because he just like refused to not let me go on a mission trip after my senior year. And he said, he was a helper in the youth ministry, and he was like, I I will pick you up at the airport. I will leave the rest of the people on this mission trip, and I will drive for 45 minutes, an hour, or whatever, and I will come, and I will pick you up at the airport. That guy literally changed my life Simply, simply by being willing to get in a car and drive for however long to pick me up at the airport because on that mission trip I got a taste of what ministry could be and still part of what drives me today I think of Chuck who was the college pastor here and and Chuck just gave me an outlet for ministry and I just saw how warm he was and and how focused he was on purity and 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 how he raised his family and 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 it was inspiring to me, but he also just let me be a part of that, and, and he gave me responsibility, and he, he got me up on stage, and, and he invested in me, and he had me over to his house. Think of Ellen, who runs the children's ministry here, or not the children's ministry, she runs a part of the children's ministry here, And how she gave me the opportunity to serve and not only did she give me an opportunity to serve but she really made me feel like i was good at doing kindergarten sunday school and and showed me that i was a valuable part of the ministry so not only was she a part of this body but she said look you are a part of this body and she said you you should do this we need help in this area And I think of James, who is my age, and he led the music for our youth group. And uh, just a high school kid getting up there and using his voice week in and week out. And and those will always be some of the most important musical worship experiences of my life. I could go on and on and on. I just heard the name Ray the other day. Because somebody mentioned him. We were even talking about this church, and Ray was also a part of the youth ministry, and he just would give you the big hugs. He's a big guy, and he just cared. He just cared about me. All these people, and a whole bunch of people more, chose to use their gifts in this body. And I'm the guy that I am today because of them. I really am. My life was changed in this place. Not because of Pastor Dave McGarrah, although I love Dave and he's a good guy friends on Facebook, but because of all the other people who chose to be a part of this body. Now, I've told this story before, but I want to give one more illustration how important it is for for you. That's what I'm getting at, for you to do your job here at Creekside. And and, and I've I've given this illustration before, but the sermon that I responded to and chose to give my life to Jesus when I was four years old was preached right here, right in this spot. Started attending here, uh, when I was 17 years old but we actually attended here for a short time when I was a kid uh, kinda of in between churches that we were at for a long time pastor Tom Wilson stood on this stage he preached a sermon but I wasn't here that Sunday my family was sick or something I'm not sure I listened to that sermon on a tape and after Tom was done giving his sermon I turned to my great-grandma and said, yeah, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to go to heaven, whatever. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I've said this a lot of times through the years. But I don't get emotional when I think about Tom. I get emotional when I think about the tape guy. Some guy with a stupid little 1989-87 recorder pushing the record button and the duplicate button or whatever buttons you push. I'm sure he wasn't paid to do that. But he was a part of this body. He chose to do his part in the body. And it resulted in me giving my life to Jesus. But it wasn't just that I was invested in here at this church that makes it the place that I wanted to preach this sermon at on on the church being His, Jesus' body. It's also the place that first I really learned was allowed to serve. Right after high school, the youth pastor here, because he saw something in me, he approached me and said, Hey, I don't usually let people this young do youth ministry, help out, but I really think that you should be a part of this, and you should be one of our youth staff. I got my feet wet, and even before that, before I graduated, Ellen, the same lady who I already mentioned, she, she said, Chad, hey, you should help out with the kindergarten Sunday school, and, and man, I think about that, and I think about this kid named River, and, and River was a, a nice boy, but a a hyper boy, and, and he was in my kindergarten Sunday school class, and he did just fine, and, and then he went to first grade, and he did not do fine, and, and so they sent him back to be in my kindergarten Sunday school class, and, and man, I thought, that's a win, man. I I, I actually added value here, and, and I did something important for this five- and six-year-old kid. All right. I've told you about how I gave my testimony on that mission trip that I already mentioned and Mike and Marky gave their lives to Jesus and and how that just drives me because I want the whole world to know Jesus because I know what a powerful moment that is and how important it is for people to experience the love of Jesus and I haven't probably ever told you that I helped lead a divorce recovery class here because I come from a divorced home and, and I was able to be a part of that class and and I found myself as like a 20 year old, I think, having people who were going through divorces, 40, 50 years old, who had kids and were worried about their kids going, hey, how do I handle this? Well, here's what I know. You know, I mean, it gave me, this church gave me an opportunity to serve. For a church to be all that God wants it to be. We must remember that we are the body, and as the body, we must must do our part so that people are invested in, but we must do our part because we're equipped to do so. Now, here's one thing that I completely believe is a problem in our church today. Oftentimes, the leadership within our churches do not do a very good job of helping people lead, of helping people, excuse me, do their part in a church. Uh, There's a couple of reasons for this. One is we think that we can just get a few people to do all the jobs. And another reason is is we don't really want to take the time That's me included. To invest in people so that they are prepared spiritually to serve their church. I'm guilty of this. I'm as guilty as anybody. I think about MS again and MS is actually not a problem with your fingers. It's not a problem with your toes. It's a problem with the central nervous system. And I think that in the American church today we have a problem with the central nervous system. Pastors like me leaders like me want to preach our sermons we want to do the things that are i don't know fun or or make us feel glorified uh, on one end or Good, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but we don't often want to do the hard work of preparing other people to serve the church. And, and in Ephesians four eleven through 13, that's exactly what Paul says needs to happen. The leaders of a church have been given to the church in order that they might invest in people so that the body, every part of the body, may do its job. I'm going to do a better job of this. In the next year, I am committed to trying to do less of the work myself and doing more of the investing in you so that you can do the work that God has called you to. It is not my job, according to this passage, to do everything. It's my job to invest in you so that you can do everything. And so I'm committing right now during this sermon to doing a better job of investing in you so that you can be a valuable part of this church. Now there's one more thing. The church as his body means that the church must continue to do the work of Jesus. If the work we're doing doesn't look like the work of Jesus, then we are not doing the right work. Stephen J. Cole, writing on the book of Acts, said this, Luke's words about his gospel, that it contained what Jesus began to do and teach, have the strong implication that his work is not done. He was taken up into heaven, but his work on earth did not cease. Rather, his body, the church, continues to do and teach what Jesus began. Jesus was God in human flesh, dwelling among us, showing us what the Father is like while Jesus was totally unique, perfect in all of his ways, we are given the daunting task of representing Jesus Christ to the world as his body. Ray Stedman makes the same point. And he says that he says this, the point whether in the gospels or in acts is that God uses incarnation, his life manifested through human life as a strategy to change the world. The church as a body, as his body, says that we must be unified, we must all do our parts, and we must do the work of Jesus. There must be unity, and we must all be doing the work, and we must be doing the work of Jesus. And here, as Paul has done in these passages we've looked at in this series, is what's at stake in Ephesians 4:14 4, through 16. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting leg of it, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You want to know what's at stake? When you think about the church as Jesus' body, when you think about the unity and striving for unity, and when you think about doing your part, and when I think about investing in you so that you can do your part, you want to know what's at stake? It's absolutely the strength of the church, our church and the church worldwide. I look at the church today, and and, and what Paul says in verses 14 through 16 is absolutely the problem. The church in America is blown from here to there to everywhere by whatever new teaching comes along. Our churches are driven in their thinking and their beliefs by what culture is saying. Paul says that we can stop that. And we can create a strength that goes beyond cultural shifts by remembering that we are his body. My nephew Rogan is coming up on four years old now, but a couple of years ago when he was learning animal sounds, I taught him that an alligator goes whoop, 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 whoop. Totally believed me. Bought right in because he wasn't mature enough, old enough, strong enough in his brain. To understand that I wasn't telling the truth I'm not condoning lying the church is so similar to Rogan as a two-year-old just believes whatever it's told and do you want to know why it's because we have not acted as his body we have not been unified and we have not done our parts And the pastors and the leaders of churches have not invested in people so that they could do the work of the ministry. And if we are going to see the church and our church be strong and mature, it will take us remembering that we are His body, striving for unity, and everybody doing their part the best they can as they use the gifts that God has equipped them with. I want us to be a strong, healthy, awesome church. And this passage says it happens by you and I making decision to be more and more connected and by you and I saying we will do our part to the best of our ability. I hope that you will make a decision to be a person who's connected to our church and who serves our church with your spiritual gifts. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that we would have a strong church. I pray that we would have such a strong church that that our strength, God, just starts to to move into other churches. And and God, you know that I believe we need a revival in the American church today. And I think a big part of it lies in what we see in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. And I pray that our church would not wait around until the cultural norms of the American church shift or change. But we would make a decision, God, to be unified and to use our gifts to serve you because we know that we are your body, Lord. Jesus, I pray for all the people who will sit with us this morning that don't know you, all the people who, who are listening online that don't know you, God. And, and a lot of people, God, are not Christians because they've looked at the church and it doesn't look anything like you. And I pray, God, that they would they would choose to give their lives to you anyway. But God, as we move forward as a church, I pray that, that we would be a great example of what you're like. I pray those people would be drawn to you through us. And I pray, God, that we would become a very strong church. Let all of our people connect and be unified and let all of our people serve you, Lord. Jesus, I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.